Okay, welcome to CSI Sidebar. This is Charles Middlestat, uh, your Who? host. Who? Yeah. Who are you? What's your name again? <laughs> Here with Mike Brooks and our producer, John. Uh, gentlemen, good afternoon. Charles, good to be with you. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been a minute since we've been in the studio. Uh, you've been busy. I've been busy. Uh, lots has happened in the past few weeks. You've been busy trying to get uh, bad guys out of jail, and I've been busy uh, in front of the radio mic in front of the TV lens. Well, I've been certainly busy trying to get them due process, if that's what you meant to say. But, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm so, I, for, I forgot. Due process. Yeah, yeah due yeah, process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember those constitutional rights that you you enjoy? Something about the Sixth Amendment. I just, yeah, I just I, don't agree with some You know, all one the time. day you're going to get charged with a crime, and we'll, Shh. I, will, I will relish being I'm, a member of your defense team. You're, you're the first call, brother. <laughs> Find me a good lawyer, would you? There you go. All right. Well, listen. Let's uh, let's let's move on and uh, get into the our topic today. I tell you, what, it's been, it's been busy, folks, and you know, I think everyone has been following the the massacre, the terrorist act in in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub. Uh, personally, I'm not going to name him by name, just to give. He's going to be called the shooter. Or the deceased, or the terrorist, by me. But I'm not going to mention his name. Everybody knows his name. Sure. Well, but I, but what we want to do, folks, we just want to talk a little bit about. There's a lot of misconceptions out there. Did the FBI drop the ball? Um, was the initial response by law enforcement adequate enough? All these kind of things. Where's the investigation now? What role did the wife play? What role did the father play? These are all things we're going to cover. And uh, and I tell you, it uh, when it first happened. My phone started ringing off the hook uh, with all the numbers I didn't realize. I didn't even know at about 5.30 in the morning, that Sunday morning. So I looked at it, turned the phone on silent, went back to bed. Then I woke up again about 6.30. I went, what are all these numbers? So picked up, and then it was, it was CNN calling. It was a bunch of other news agencies calling to, for me to weigh in on what was going on in Orlando. So I got up, got on the computer, and uh, and what I f- started finding, the first accounts by the Orlando police chief were that there was approximately 20 dead. That's then right. that's right, that was the number initially. Yeah, and then initially. It, and then it sw- it it it, it, sw- it swelled exponentially. I mean, right. it was amazing. I remember that press conference where uh, I guess it was the. Uh, it wasn't. It was the, sh- the head of the sheriff's department, I think. That it was Chief announced. Micah from yeah. or, from Orlando Police. Oh, from PD. From yeah, the PD. Orlando yeah, yeah. PD. And uh, suddenly he throws out this number of fifty, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, fifty. Yeah. And 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 forty. You know, fifty, forty some wounded, and or fifty two wounded, something like right. that. What right. the what number was? And then it went back to forty nine because that fifty included the shooter, the shooter yeah. who was killed by the Orlando Police Department SWAT team. Right. But in looking at the, the, you know, the preliminary timeline, and I think this is certainly worth talking about because, because I think there can be, this is one of the areas of misconception, right, where you have this, we know the first shots happened right around 2 o'clock, and then it's not actually the, this situation is not finally brought under control until like 5.15. Right. And, and law enforcement was on the scene pretty quickly, Took a while for them to mobilize their tactical response to it, SWAT team to try to figure out what's going on. And there were there was some shooting that happened outside initially. The initial shooting started outside, right? The yeah. shooter retreats inside, barricades himself, and then the response 
happens. Like there was an off-duty Orlando police officer who was working his part-time job right? because cops don't make enough money, uh, as everybody knows, and I, we've talked about before. But he's out there uh, working his job, and he was just away from the door in the front parking lot when he started hearing the shooting. And right. the shooter then ran inside, and we found out later that he had a, uh, a SIG MCX rifle Along with a Glock 17 assault rifle. handgun, assault rifle, rifle, it was, it's, a, it's a rifle. But be that as it may, that's another discussion for another show, and we're going to talk about that in another we can, show. We can touch on it a little bit. Uh, anyway, he came there. There were two other officers that were nearby from a small town that supports Orlando right on the edge of their territory there on East Orange, and they responded... They went inside. They encountered the gunman. They could hear they could hear shots fired. The gunman went and basically barricaded himself inside a bathroom, one of the bathrooms in the back of the club, while the officers were outside, basically holding containment on him. And by the time all this happened, that's when the shooting stopped for a good amount of time. And right. we now know from the from law enforcement that. He made calls to 911. He multiple calls. Multiple three calls to 911. Yeah. The first call spoke for over half an hour to yeah. uh, to the hostage negotiators. Right to one of the negotiators yeah. uh, because they they were able to finally get him on the line. Spoke to uh, the 911 operator where he cl- where he pledged allegiance to El, you know Mr. Uh, si- El Baghdadi. Yeah, well, a series of other groups and a series of other groups. Hamas. I mean, all these d- groups that are. In conflict with one another. Well, which, and this one he said the Islamic State, so we know it was ISIS. That, that one was ISIS, was ISIS. But he also but pledged allegiance to Hamas. Other time, at other times. Correct, you know? correct. And so he, they got him contained. And that's what a lot of people are, are talking about, Charles. You know, well, why didn't they try to go in? Well, number one, if they've got him barricaded in the back and there's no shooting and they're able to try to start some kind of uh, rep- you know, negotiation with him, trying to just, just to get him to talk. And the fact that he even he even called his wife apparently, or texted and texted with his right. wife about, hey, are you watching the news? But he wanted everybody to know. And now we just found out a couple days ago that he in fact had been inside the club two hours prior right. Right. to the shooting. He went in, he paid a cover charge, he got, got a, his wristband, he got his wristband like you do in a lot of clubs, and he was inside. So they're now trying to figure out as part of the investigation. Where he was, how long he was in the club, number one. Sure. We, we're hearing that he had been there a number of times a month for the last three years, so he knew the club. Uh, was he just going in to do kind of a recon to see exactly if how much were, security was how in much there? How much security was outside? How much inside? But where did he go for those two hours? And, that, and that's one of the things that law enforcement is working on right now because they should, they should be able to find out from cell phone pings with his phone where he was, and if during those two hours he had any kind of communication, whether talking right. on the phone, right. via, via text message, with if he rendezvoused else. with someone, exactly. hey, it's not just restricted to cell phone stuff. No. I mean, here's the... they got, you know, they if got you, it if, all, too. Yeah, that's the thing about this, about almost any case now, but this case really, this massacre um, really kind of evidences the, the the technological age that we live in. I mean, there's almost no aspect of this that isn't documented in some way. First of all, the the entire massacre is, is memorialized on videotape yeah. from from security footage inside the club. But 
in addition to that, you have, I mean, tragically, a lot of these victims were, were interacting, texting with loved ones, making phone calls, making social media posts. Um, but in addition to that, you have all this other evidence out there, and that's what law enforcement is chasing down now in terms of pinging cell phones and looking at cell tower mapping, in terms of other surveillance footage in the area to see where he was, um, possibly even tracking the vehicle just based upon um, the technology within the, within the vehicle. Did someone else because pick him up? Car Are there too. co-conspirators? Right. Were, you know, were, did that rental car have, as a lot of rental cars have, did they have a tracking device in there for recovery purposes? Right. Um, there, there's stuff we don't know yet. But the fact of the matter is there's so much information that can traffic cameras in the area in in terms of trying to place his whereabouts. And then based upon the phone call records, who he spoke to interviewing these people, what did you talk about? Did you meet with him? What was the state of mind? What was going on? How much did you know? We see that two weeks before this you were speaking to him. What did he tell you? Did he tip you off? Did he give you any indication? I mean, there's just such a massive amount of information that's still coming in. And that's these are just kind of the, the lay witnesses out there. Right. We haven't even spoken yet about the wife and the father. No, we are going to talk about that. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I just can't imagine, Charles, the, the chaos and, and the interview that CNN did with the uh, Orlando Fire Department or Orange County Fire, Fire Department lieutenant because there was a firehouse on the same side of, st- of the street on Orange Avenue as Pulse, but a block down. And people were running to the firehouse, right. beating right. on the bay doors when it first started because there was there were a lot of walking wounded. There was a lot of people that were they were carrying people as they were running out of the club. I, I uh, recall seeing an interview with some nearby residents that actually took some of some of these folks in because they ran from the club and they were hiding behind a fence. Right, there's houses right behind yeah, the right club. right there. I know and, that. Uh, I was down there for the Casey yeah. Anthony case, and I know that area right. pretty well. I mean, just terrible, terrible. But, uh, but we know also that even before they brought this situation under control and they neutralized the shooter, that, um, that the Orlando Regional Medical Center was reporting that they had up to 40 patients that had already come in. This is well before 5 o'clock. Yeah. And, and, and the shooter's not taken out until 5.15. So it's clear that there was a certain section of the club that, that where he was now holed up in kind of a second phase of this incident, right? Law enforcement had made entry to some extent inside the club. They were freeing some of the, the patrons. They were extracting them. And they broke a window. They, they, they took a, They took uh, an air conditioning unit out. Yep. This is a... This is a, a cinder block building, right? Yeah. And uh, so they're, they're punching through the cinder blocks, and they're, they're able to extract a lot of these um, victims. So it was a very fluid situation. You know, as you said, people are speculating as to the response. I think it's too early to do that. Obviously, there's a massive investigation yeah. going on into the response, and in due course, we'll know whether it was appropriate or not. It's always easy to second guess. It is, but you know, but from all my years, you know, in law enforcement and all my years with uh, the emergency response team with DC police and and having been a hostage negotiator as well as an operator, it, it seems they did the right thing by trying to contain it. There was no more shooting going on, waiting for the SWAT team. The SWAT team got there pretty pretty quickly because I think there were some operators who were actually working and uh, so they were able to respond fairly quickly and set up uh, an emergency assault plan. 
And when he started talking about bombs and putting uh, maybe bombs on some of the people inside that bathroom, sure. that's when they decided, and that's what the, the SWAT commander said, that's when they decided to go ahead and make an emergency assault because they put an explosive breach and they had gotten permission from the chief and, and it's ironic the chief, uh, that the chief of Orlando Police is a former SWAT operator himself and former SWAT commander. And they decided to go ahead and put an explosive breach on that wall. They went ahead and cranked that off, but it only them. dented the wall. Right. Dented in, but they had a Bearcat, that Lenco Bearcat with the, the ram on the front right. to go ahead. And after that, after they, as punched as they through the wall, that, they went ahead and punched right through the wall. Sorry, that oh. was my phone. That was... Uh, on silent, but it was not on silent anymore. They punched through the wall, and people started coming out. Then they punched another hole in the wall, and then the shooter started shooting out through the hole right. in the wall. Right. And that's when the tactical team, they decided to go ahead and make entry while they were getting... Well, they were returning fire. Yeah. Returning you can see fire. it. Yeah. You can actually see it. And there, there was some speculation at, yeah, at some point, that, and that, which has subsequently been dispelled, but there was some speculation that there could have been some friendly fire. And, and now we know that that is not the case based upon the autopsies. Right. Um, there was one police, uh, there was one operator for, uh, with one SWAT operator who actually caught a round in his Kevlar right. helmet. Saved him. Uh, if, if you want to take a look at that picture, folks, go to, go to my Twitter page, at TV Detective, and I've posted a picture of, of the officer um, along Officer Paladino, I believe his name is, along with uh, his helmet. Yeah. And I tell you, he is he is one lucky guy. But it was nine operators that went in, exchanged gunfire, and they were actually he just they got him in the back hallway, just outside the bathroom, where nine nine of the uh, SWAT officers uh, took him down. Right. Now, listen, I I think it's you know it's fair to say that. As we look at this in hindsight, are there things that could have been done differently, better? Of course. Always, but but that's, that's what happens in any situation like this, right? That's why you study the situation after the fact to look, whether you're talking about a, a school shooting or a mass casualty situation. You're always looking at the response, whether it's a, a medical response, whether it's a tactical response, to see what you can learn. Yep. From the exercise, right? What could we have? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? What could we, could we have done differently? And that's just pragmatic. Sure. I mean, we always, we all, all the time, uh, <laughs> we do a hot wash of every incident we had. You know, what what was our response? What was the initial response of the officers of the right. patrol? What did we know? What should we have known? Right. And and you talk about what did we know? What should we have known? A little, little bit. Of, talk a little bit about the investigation and. His contact, his previous contact with the FBI. Well, apparently back in 2013, he came, uh, came, he came on the FBI's radar when he was a uh, guard for the comp- uh, security company G4S, which is one of the largest it's huge. security It's out of Britain. It's the old Wacken yeah, Hut. Right. It, uh, yeah. With over 50,000 employees just here in the United States. And, I mean, they guard... Courthouses, they guard government uh, buildings. Contracts in all, in every industry. Universal, every, uh, universities, every colleges. Segment. Yeah, absolutely. Both pro- pub- public and private sector. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're huge. So, uh, anyway, the shooter came on the FBI's radar when apparently he was making some comments about being a member of Hezbollah and he wishes the FBI would come to his house. You know, it's because he was allegedly being harassed by some of his 
coworkers who who let law enforcement know, and then the sheriff's department let the FBI know about this guy. Right. And they actually went out, interviewed him over a ten month period. Now, folks, what what the FBI does instead of opening up a full field investigation, they'll do. Uh, uh, you can start out with a thirty, get it re up for sixty, ninety days, what, however many days you need to complete it. It's called a we call it a PI, a preliminary inquiry. It's where you're taking a look at someone to see whether or not they're involved in any kind of criminality, you know, and, and do they have probable cause to arrest this person? Well, they really went above and beyond during this during this preliminary inquiry. They interviewed him twice during these this ten month period in person. Interviewed a lot of other people. They used a lot of electronic surveillance techniques. They actually used agents. They followed him around. Um, they introduced a confidential informant who was working for the FBI to see maybe he might might be interested in, 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 in explosives. Title weapons. three. Yep. Oh, they they. They had everything he right. had wired. Let's put it and, that way. And during the same time, a subsequent source came out, which was a member of his mosque. Uh, Muhammad Malik right. is his name. And he basically tipped off the FBI to the fact that the shooter was espousing some um, kind of inflammatory, concerning views, expressing the desire perhaps to to uh, inflict some violence against others. And, and while he said, I don't think he has any particular plans, I think you guys should at least be aware of him and be taking a look at him. Right, and apparently he'd been looking at uh, a lot of videos they, they found out of uh, Anwar El-Alaki, who was right. a, uh, an American who right. was you know, kind of the, the mouthpiece, if you will, um, in the Middle East, and he wound up getting taken out by a, by a drone. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, and I think it's, it's also worth mentioning, for all of, all of this discussion about terrorism, and I mean, we, we have essentially two, in this country we've had really two most recently episodes, San Bernardino and this particular incident, in which you have suspects, shooters, assailants, murderers that have claimed an affiliation with a terrorist group. And in this particular case, we're dealing with someone who is was born in this country, is an American citizen. Born in New York. In New yep. York, raised Two here. Afghani parents. Right. Two, uh, two immigrants. Yep. And um, so we, you can't make an argument that this is some, some immigrant who came here with bad intentions. I mean, he's, a, for all, he's an American. Right. He's an American, happens to be a, a Muslim, but he's an American. And he's mentioned that um, Hezbollah, he was a member of Hezbollah, whether or not he was. He's mentioned Hamas. Listen, these, all, these, all these groups are in conflict. They hate each other. Right, because his mosque, the second time he was interviewed, after, after the FBI went ahead and cleared him, after an exhaustive 10-month investigation, they found out that he was not involved in any kind of criminality. He wasn't planning any kind of terrorist event. He wanted to be a police officer at some point. He he was a he was a police he's wannabe. A wannabe. Yeah, absolutely. He'd been, he'd been through a corrections academy, washed out of. He, he no, couldn't. No question. Yeah, he, he couldn't hack it. He just no. didn't have the. And every picture you see, he's got on an NYPD shirt. He's got right. on a T-shirt. He's got on a polo shirt. He was a cop wannabe. Right. And so, just based upon his 
pronouncements, uh, these conflicting pronouncements of his, his uh, affiliations to terrorist organizations, you, you have to almost discount them because they're in conflict with one another. Right. Every group he mentioned, he mentioned, of the groups he mentioned, two of them are Sunni. One of them is a, is a Shia group, and they're all diametrically opposed to each right. other. So when you really look at the motivation and you learn, as we now know, that this is a guy that was on Grinder, which is known to be a, a pickup site for homosexual men, right. um, that he had visited that particular club, The Pulse, many, many times over the previous three years and apparently had trolled other um, gay sites. Mm-hmm. And actually, now we have, uh, we have a witness who's actually come out while not revealing his name, wants to remain anonymous for obvious reasons, in disguise, claiming that he had been with him on multiple prior occasions. And so you you have to wonder, what is this a guy that was in conflict with himself because of the religious views that his father might have been pushing on him and what was expected of him based upon his religion versus what his own inclinations were internally? Did he feel rejected by the gay community? Was he ostracized somehow? Was he angry at them? Who knows what the, you know, what the real motivation was there. But it, it certainly seems to me it was far less rooted in, in, quote, terrorism. And that seemed to be just a very convenient excuse. Maybe he was trying to deflect away from his conflict yeah. by blaming it on something else and, and trying to be some type of martyr and some type of hero. And that's what made him feel good but about himself. But it's still himself. a terrorist incident no matter which way you Listen, cut it. Listen, it's terrorism no matter what. Right. The question is whether it's, you know, if it's a hate crime or whether it's domestic terrorism or international or terrorism both. or both. I think, it could, right. I think it could be domestic terrorism and a hate crime. Right. You know, because it can be both. And, you know, sure. if you look at the definition of terrorism, um, the unlawful use of force or violence to intimidate or coerce a government, civilian population, or any segment thereof and the furtherance, furtherance of political or social objectives this fit the bill of the FBI definition of terrorism. Sure. And, and I think it's also worth saying that even if he wasn't a member or affiliated with any terrorist group, that doesn't mean that he couldn't become self-radicalized oh, no, just by watching this was. stuff, right? Yeah. Just, by watch, just by being exposed to it, it, it plants seeds, right? And someone who's already mentally unstable, who's already in conflict with themselves yes. on, on the level that he was— and and getting back to the to the and FBI investigation yeah. for a moment, you know, one of the things that you and I don't know, Mike, is whether that investigation included an interview with his ex-wife. I don't believe it did. I don't From think my it so- did. Talking to my sources, I don't believe it did. And I think that would have been an important interview. Yeah, but you know, there again, uh, when they were doing my background, when I was uh, when I went over to the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. They did a background check on me because I I had a top se- I wound up having a top secret secret part secret compart TSSCI with a code word and a Q nuclear clearance. But they interviewed people going back years in I, I, in my life, right? No, and they I, interviewed I, my ex wife. Oh, and she trashed me. I was I was the biggest a hole in the world. To you know, sh- even sure. though what, but but there's still some valuable in- information there. That has to be corroborated. Yo, I mean, yeah. you never know what kind of no, nugget comes out of there. I would have I mean, you, to it's like way. any witness, right? If you're, you always have to evaluate the the value of the information based upon the source, right? Right. And so, the same reason in a you know in a criminal case, why you wouldn't put up a relative who's as a character or because they obviously have a conflict, they have an allegiance to to uh, a defendant or whatever, and that's why you want a pristine lay witness 
but that doesn't, that doesn't mean you don't talk to these folks. No, and I tell you, having been with them for six years, you know, and <laughs> working terrorism for six years, they're going to go back. And Director Comey, I think he's been pretty transparent in, in everything that he's put out there. And I think that they will take a, a hard, hard look to make sure that, that everything was done correctly and all the interviews were done correctly uh, for the, for the, the two the, times. The same type of assessment him. I referred to a minute ago, yeah, right? They, where you, where they you will. go back, you look, and you see if, you know, did we miss something? Sure, and you have I, to. And I would hope and I believe that the FBI is not arrogant enough or um, they're not going to circle the wagons in such a way no. to where they are going to try to absolve themselves of any misstep or any responsibility no. that they might have for missing something. But that, and that, that kind of brings us into another conversation without getting into the whole, you know, the issue of gun rights or assault weapons or any of that. The fact of the matter is that there, there were red flags. And the question, I think it's, it becomes a policy question that we need to, it's a debate that we need to have. Uh, and that is, you know, should there be some mechanism? No uh, fly, no buy. No fly, no buy. Or if, if, if we, if the FBI has gone to the extreme measure, to the expense, uh, ex- and, and pretty extreme expense, I mean, the type of investigation that we're talking about, that, that type of preliminary, uh, preliminary look at somebody, you and I know what that cost. I mean, that's, you're talking about tremendous manpower. You're, you're oh, talking about uh, just the surveillance piece alone sure. is ridiculously um, expensive. And so... It, it, if if the government, the federal government, is justified looking at somebody that hard over the course of a year, and granted, it didn't result in identifying any criminality, but yet there's already been two separate sources reporting that there's a possible issue there, and there's possible instability, there's possible violence, there's possible extremism. It, does it not warrant having some? mechanism there to con- make uh, the connect dots and in this case the dot being his purchase of firearms assault rifle handguns ammunition large quantities of ammunition i mean that's the, you know the whole ammunition piece right. is another aspect i mean to me that's a big indicator you know you have se- you have self defense issues you have sporting Needs. I mean, if you're a, if you're a, a sports shooter, if you're a hunter, if you for three gun competition, that kind of for thing. self defense, yeah. that's all fine. But when you start buying thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition, probably some little flag ought to pop up, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless you, uh, right. If you've been on a no fly, if you've been on the terrorism watch well, list, that's, you know. that's the thing. There should be something in there that when, and, and number one, and another point, he had a concealed weapons permit for the state of Florida. Well, he's a security guard. Yeah, but you know, you can. It, it doesn't matter. He was he worked for the company, but still, it's still read that that is piece is still regulated by the state of Florida. So, is there something that the FBI should have done Florida, during that time? Let, let's let's be honest. Florida, when it comes to the gun laws, is super lax. I mean, you don't even need you don't even need a permit. You don't need registration. You can carry. They have open carry. Open carry. Yeah, it's one of the more. It's one of the least restrictive states in this country. It's Florida. It's Florida. But again, getting back to but there should this be is not a, this to, is not a gun rights. This is not a Second Amendment issue. No. This, this is simply a function of 
is, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. To me, the analogy I would use is like, uh, you know, what, what triggers an IRS audit, okay? Right. And, and what triggers it is it's not – there's not some person, there's not some warm body at a desk that sits there and flags these things. There's an algorithm in the system. There's, there's certain things within your filing, and if the combination of these things occur, it flags you as a filer, as a taxpayer. Right. At, for, at being eligible for an audit, okay? It, and some of that can be uh, some variance in uh, income or, or, or deductions right. from the previous year or whatever. But what you're trying to say is there should be something there that could trigger be, an audit of why someone wants to buy two weapons at the same the time. The same automated flags that exist that are set up within, you know, by the IRS. I agree with you, but I'm going to tell you what, they, what people are saying. And the bottom line is they found no criminality involved with him, so he can go about his business like any other citizen because there was no crime committed. And, and so, you know, and so the question becomes, is that, the, is that just the cost of us being the kind of democracy that we are, the, 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 what makes us different than most countries in the world, right? The freedoms that we enjoy as Americans, the constitutional protections that we enjoy as Americans that make us different. Is, is the cost associated with that? Is, just, is that a cost we're just going to have to accept that we, we can't ever, nothing's ever going to be perfect. Yep. We're not going to be able to prevent every incident and that there's times when we've looked at somebody hard and we didn't find anything, we just got to let them go. And if they happen to come back and commit uh, a massacre like this, that's just the cost of us enjoying the freedoms we enjoy. That right? seems like that's what it is. You know, right now, it's, it's amazing. There are over a thousand full field investigations for uh, uh, over a thousand people. Building terrorism investigations right. going on right now and, and, in all 56 FBI field offices around the country. Right, and the, and the manpower for that is, I mean, you can't possibly watch everybody that has somebody's dropped the dime on. No. There's no way. No. I mean, it's triage. You, oh, you it's can't. all it is. It's just you got to, you know, whatever rises to the top. And, and you, can, you can give a cursory look at some of the other folks, but as far as the, the, you know, the, the level of investigation that took place on this shooter— for a year, I mean that you're talking about at least twenty different agents being involved in that kind of effort. Oh. Minimum, minimum. Oh yeah, more and and members of the Joint Terrorism Task Force out of uh, out of Miami, right? So you know, and, and that's state, local, and federal, right? So I mean, they really they really did look at this guy hard. Now, the question is, and some people are saying there's no way he could have done this by himself. So. The big question is, was there, anyone else, was, was there anyone else involved with him? What really did his wife know? Yeah. And Charles, the father. Yeah. The father. Yeah, well, Pro-Taliban. At, pro, yeah. If you look at his Which means history. to me anti-American. If you're pro-Taliban, you definitely aren't pro-American. And, uh, you know, and how much influence did his father have on him and what did the father know? I've been watching him every time. I see him in that. I, it, I'm not comfortable with him either. Not, I'm, he's lying. He's not telling the truth. Well, and then, there, you know, there may have been some just in the course of him expressing his very rigid uh, views um, with regard to homosexuality and, and other aspects of society that don't, aren't in agreement with his religious beliefs, whether he knew or he was so 
strongly opinionated in those, and that affected his son to the point where his son felt like he could never escape his father's judgment, and he was that could have been part of the struggle, right? Could have been, yeah. With that kind of struggle and being exposed to this trend, uh, the 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 propaganda that's being put out by these terrorist organizations, and the the romantic picture that they paint about being a martyr and becoming a hero and receiving all this recognition and praise, you know, did that give him a cause to try to reinvent himself? You know, who knows? Good possibility, but you know, but still, his wife, Charles, his wife. You can't, she, you can't live with somebody. No. And frequenting these clubs with the, uh, with the, with the degree of frequency that he did over the length of time that he did, having a fascination for guns, going to the range. I mean, if these other folks talked about him expressing these ethnic uh, slurs and and all of these different troubling views, there's no way he wasn't expressing those around his wife. Absolutely. No and way. She went with him to buy ammo. Right. She went with him to buy a holster. And it's going to be interesting is to uh, look at the exploitation that law that the FBI is going to is doing on her phone. Now there have been stories that they don't know where she is. We know that she did leave and go to California to be with her parents, uh, but I would find it hard to believe they know where that she the is. FBI has her in pocket right now. They, and, they know where she is. Oh, oh yeah, and she knows <laughs> she knows where she is. They know who she's talking to. They know who she's texting, yeah, yeah. She's who not her go- parents are she's talking to. She's not going to. anywhere. She's not going any place no. at all. I can guarantee that. Right. But I, I tell you, it's um, it's going to be interesting because it's, it's still relatively early on in yeah. the investigation. There, there's a lot more developments that are, going to, there, that are going to come out. There's a lot more developments that are going to come out. All right, folks. Well, thanks again to uh, to Charles. Thank you for uh, having us back here at the, at the Middlestat Studios <laughs> of the for CSI Sidebar, folks. We're going to be probably doing another one next week, and uh, we'll give you a follow up. Yeah, what's going let's. On with we're going to we're going to start becoming regular again. Yeah. We've just your your it's, health issues are yep. behind you. Yep. Just a little therapy my, now. my schedule is going to slow down a little bit. You're going to make some more time. I and then we're going to get some above the, uh, above the neck therapy it's, doc. Yeah, that's right. A little checkup from the neck up. I think you could use a little bit of that, too. Well, but, I probably uh, could. And, 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 again, thanks to our, uh, our producer. Producer John, yeah. John's been doing a hell of a job. I don't know how he can put up working for Charles, but, you know, I guess it's a, it's a cross we all have to bear to make a little bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to CSI Sidebar. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>